Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Kristen Kenny from Red Bull Global Rallycross, and you're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the November 7th edition of Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder, the most hardcore motorsports program on the internet. This episode 174 of the series. I'm your host, Adam Jason Sinclair, and on tonight's program, Michael Morelli and myself will be recapping the past few weeks of racing, previewing upcoming action, and discussing whatever other motorsports topic prompted into the conversation with guest R.J. Valentine. The second annual Michelin IMSA Sports Car Encore heads to Sebring International Raceway November 9th through the 10th. The weekend features a wide variety of International Motorsports Association, IMSA, classes including the popular LMP3 prototypes, GT3, GT4, and TCR production cars, all battling together on the famed 3.74-mile Sebring circuit. Two days of practice and qualifying sessions culminates with the four-hour race Sunday starting at 12.05 p.m. Tickets will be sold at the gate, which opens to spectators beginning at 8 a.m. on Saturday, November 9th. Admission is only $10 for the entire weekend, with children 12 and under admit free. Active military and veterans with valid ID will also be admit free. There is no charge for car parking, and RV parking is only $20. The Encore is open to 18 with the currently approved LMP3, GT3, GT4, or TCR race car. Each car may have a minimum of two and a maximum of three drivers, with a maximum of one gold-rated driver per car. As was the case in the inaugural Michelin IMSA Sports Car Encore, the LMP3 class, which likely will compete for the overall race victory, has the most entries so far, including entries from ANSA Motorsports, which won the 2018 Encore, 47 Motorsports, which won the 2019 IMSA Prototype Challenge Championship, and Performance Tech Motorsports, among others. GT3 entries, including a Lamborghini from Paul Miller Racing 2018 IMSA WeatherTech Championship, GT Daytona GTD Champions, a Mercedes AMG from Riley Motorsports, and a pair of Porsches from Wright Motorsports and Black Swan Racing. GT4 entries have been received from powerhouse teams such as Riley Motorsports, Turner Motorsport, and the 2019 IMSA Michelin Pilot Challenge Grand Sport Championship winning at Powerbond with Peregrine Racing Team. The full entry list was revealed was revealed on Monday, apparently. I did not copy that, but I do think I did a piece on SpeedwayDigest.com, so check that there. A free race open grid fan block will take place beginning at 11, 10 a.m. on Sunday, giving fans an opportunity for an up-close look at all the cars competing. Tonight's guest is R.J. Valentine. A Boston native, R.J. Valentine's passion for auto racing is equaled only by his business acumen. Remarkably, he's been successful in both fields, Valentine's been racing competitively for four decades and has over 400 pro starts, as well as Rolex 24 Hours at Daytona wins. 
After many years on tracks with concrete, Armco, tire packs, and other outmoded walls, he realized there was a serious need for better barriers. So, being the serial entrepreneur that he is, Valentine and his team developed a new softer wall technology. Originally founded in 2000 for the express purpose of setting new standards in driver protection, Impact Safety Systems, ISS barriers, has since been adopted by race courses and cart circuits across the country. We're going to be talking to Mr. Valentine in about five minutes, but before that, let's go ahead and listen to a selection from Ron Pastana and the pit crew. This is Short Track Racing.
Once again, that was Short Track Racing by Ron Pastan and the Pit Crew. You can search for them on Google as well as your favorite downloadable music service. While we're standing by for RJ Valentine to call into the program, let's go ahead and mention a little bit of some of the stuff we were going to talk about this evening but was preempted by other news that came up. Um, as most of you probably know, the Arrow McLaren SPM Racing announced their drivers for this week, uh, for the next season, about a week ago now. Um, the drivers are Pato Award, friend of the program, and Oliver Askew, also a past guest on this program. That, of course, leaves James Hinchcliffe, the uh, mayor of Hinchtown himself, without a ride for next season. Uh, he is having some issues finding an uh, IndyCar ride for next season. Um, apparently, Smith-Peterson Racing was not happy with the fact that he decided to do some uh, some work for Sports Illustrated, appearing in their body issue this year. And that was part of the reason why he was dropped from the team as well. Um, so it might be a long off-season for James Hinchcliffe. He is trying to get a full ride for next season in the IndyCar Series. I'm actually thinking that I'm probably going to end up seeing him at the uh, Royal Before the Rolex 24, probably with his helmet and his driver's suit in hand, because I don't think he'd be able to find a ride in IndyCar this late in the season. And the racing season comes up quicker than you think. Um, so let's see how that goes for Hinchcliffe. Hopefully it will be a, a relatively short off time for him, but I don't think so. I think it might he might have pissed off the wrong people, and he's... Uh, he does have some sponsors behind him, uh, people like Honda of, uh, of Canada and all that. So it might might pan into something for next season, but I don't know if it'll be a full season ride, and that is what he's looking for for next year. That's what all the drivers are looking for, of course. Um, there's also some other news we're going to touch on later in the program. Uh, I'm sure all of you heard of it, of the fact that Penske announced the other day that he was buying IndyCar as well as the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. The report is that he paid $350 million in cash for both IndyCar and Indianapolis Motor Speedway, as well as the IMS Studios and other other sections of Holman uh, of the Holman companies, which have not been sold so far. I know that they did sell um, some of their food-related things earlier in the year, and they made an awful lot of money on that as well. So they didn't make as much money as I was thinking. But uh, you can't really sneeze at $350 million, and I'm sure that they'll be very happy to take Penske's money away from him. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And again, we'll be talking about that briefly at the end of the program. Right now, we are still standing by for Roger Valentine to call in. If he doesn't call in in the next two minutes or so, which I think he is on the line right now, let's go ahead and make sure that is his number, and it is. So let's go ahead and welcome RJ Valentine to the program this evening. Good evening. Hello, how are you doing tonight? Um, how are you tonight? I'm doing pretty well, thank you. How are you? Very well, very well. Good to be on. Thank you very much for coming on. First off, uh, we know that you were already an established entrepreneur when you first got into racing. How did that? Uh, how did your first encore into into auto racing start? Well, I'd be blunt with you. I've always been somebody that's been interested in motor motorsports, automobiles. And in 1975, I decided that uh, I'd like to give it a shot. And I started off as an amateur, lasted two years. Uh, and then I ended up uh, buying, you know, uh, faster cars and ended up uh, um, going into, uh, you know, professional, um, you know, professional racing. And after 400 pro starts, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've been doing it for a very long period of time. Mm -hmm. 
Of all the races you competed in, the 400-plus starts you just mentioned, which one was your favorite and why is that? You know what? It's a good question. They were all, they were all you know, pretty dynamic. It depends. Trans Am Series was a pretty uh, pretty big deal. We did world sports cars and then ended up driving factory BMWs, factory Porsches. Uh, and, um, you know, I've driven so many different kinds of cars. To pick a favorite. Uh, it probably, it probably even, you know, I have multiple wins. And people say, well, it must have been a race you won. It, not, it wasn't necessarily a race I won. It was a, a race that was probably, you know, very hard, uh, you know, hard to do. I could have been a, a third, but it was a hard third to get. But it was, uh, you know, when you say a favorite, they, let me tell you this, so many of them that were wonderful. It, it's hard to, it's hard to put a, you know, put a, uh, you know, uh, an answer like that. I can't really give you a good answer. Then how about this one? Which one's your favorite track? Oh, you know what? That uh, I own a track too. I own New Jersey Motorsport. Pat, most people expect <laughs> me to say that's my favorite track. I, which I like it, but Watkins Glen uh, is my top. I love Watkins Glen. Switching gears a little bit to your uh, to your barrier technology, when you made the decision to take on the enormous task of designing a new barrier system, what was there a, was there a particular incident on track that inspired you to do so? Well, I'll tell you, I was, uh, in 1986, uh, I was driving in the Trans Am Series with Paul Newman. Paul Newman was one of the competitors. And his teammate, a guy by the name of Jim Fitzgerald, uh, was killed in the first turn at St. Petersburg. He hit a um, concrete barrier at 120 miles an hour, and, you know, he was instantly killed. And I said to myself, that didn't have to be. There's got to be a better way to uh you know to build a racetrack where somebody's not going to end their life by hitting something and that's what got me started and then I saw an evolution of different people who got concussions who got maimed who got who had lost their lives and I said to myself something something can something can change something can change here and uh long and short of it is uh um uh, we've made some progress but there's a lot more to be made what kind of very improvements do you think are the most critical that need to be done right now? Well, I think the most important thing, um, Adam, is looking at where the hot spots are on a track. Everybody says, well, nobody can afford to buy all the barriers that you have for a track, which could be two or three miles long. I don't even mm -hmm. suggest that. I say let's look at the areas on the track which are consistently uh, places where people have, you know, have hit. And you, you can count. I mean, I, if you said to me, look, RJ, I'm going to give you a track. And I've, ridden, I've driven just about on every single track in the United States. There's a few that I haven't. But the ones I have ridden on, or driven on, I can tell you, you know, having done it, you know, 6, 8, 10, 12 times, 20 times, 30 times, you say to yourself, okay, turn such and such is always a bad turn. You say, well, that needs improvement. But that improvement is only going to come about as a result of the sanctioning body or the track owner saying, you know what, we're going to address this. And if they don't address it, it's, it's, it could be a matter of cost. It could be a matter of a lot of things. It could be stubbornness. But the reality is most every driver knows who those places are. He's seen, he or she's seen uh, wrecks at those specific places. So it's, it's look, if you're doing this, on a on a fairly constant basis, you're going to know what's happening. I'll go ahead and throw you out to my co-host, Michael Miley. There's a couple of questions for you as well. 
Okay. Was it easy gaining adoption of your new barrier technology, or was it similar to what the Hans device experienced? Well, it's just the opposite in the, in the sense of you're in the car with the Hans device. I was there when they started. Jim Downing, who invented that, uh, the Hans device, was a good friend, and we all thought he was crazy. You know, it was one of those things where you look at it and you say to yourself, okay, well, what's he trying to prove, okay? And he did a very good job explaining uh, what it was. You know, you know, it's the old adage, first it's ridiculed, second it's violently opposed, Third is it's accepted as being self-evident. So in the beginning, none of us got it, and then we we watched different places where people who had them, you know, they they survived. I mean, Jail Earnhardt was the instance where it became mainstream. You know, after Dale was killed, everybody everybody it was actually mandated by the sanctioning body that you had to wear it. And it's, it was a, it's a was a wonderful thing for competitors. And with barriers, we hope the whole the same thing happens. But it's going to take time. It's going to get everybody's going to buy in. Beyond being in the barrier business, you've also spoken, become an outspoken safety advocate. What strategies are you implementing to drive improvements? Well, what we're doing in terms of 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 other driver improvements is obviously is the building of the vehicles okay the the uh, safety belt system the fire suits the helmets these are all areas that have to be added to the equation and you put them all together and you're going to make racing safer um where do you see the motorsports industry headed in the next five years with regards to safety well, all I can tell you is is we're hoping that they're going to recognize the fact that, that all these other areas, particularly, you know, it's the arrival point, okay? If you don't change the environment, if you don't change where you're going to hit, okay, there's, other, there's other things you can do, but they've just about all been done with the exception of the last frontier, which is what you hit. You've got safer barriers. You got some tires, you got tire technology, but still, you need a, a, a situation design where it's a rapid, uh, rapid, slow uh, impact. And since your first win at the Rolex 24 in 2009, how do you feel the event has continued to evolve since then? Not much. Okay, we when you raced in the 24, I've raced in it 26 times, but that's only one race that I won. I've run multiple rate, won multiple races, and it tracks all over the country and out of the country as well. So, uh, what's going to improve? Look, it's going to. Your guess is as good as mine. Okay, we all we're doing is I'm trying to concentrate on on uh, you know on, on, on soft cushion. And out of the variety of cars you have raced, which would be your favorite and why? I don't have any favorites. I've driven everything but the space shuttle. Um, but, it, it, listen, I've driven open wheel, open cockpit, closed cockpit. It really isn't the car so much. It's the competition that you encounter when you're, when you're racing. Mm-hmm. 
I know you mentioned you're you're mostly involved in the in the barriers and the soft surfaces, and that's that's awesome. But how do you feel about the about the changes that have been made, such in Formula One with the Halo, and now in IndyCar with their new their new cockpit window screen thing? Well, I think I think in both cases, uh, you know, they're uh, you know they're they're great improvements. Okay, it's uh, uh, I happen to prefer the uh, you know the IndyCar. Uh, problem because there's nothing that can intrude into the helmet, okay, mm-hmm. or into the face of the driver, okay. Whereas is the the, uh, the situation in Formula One? I don't know why they didn't put, you know, some sort of a you know a uh, uh, you know a, uh, a, a, a high impact plastic that could have been embedded in in the halo. But that that's not my call. I mean, I think IndyCar's got it right. And you mentioned the fact that in the Rolex 24, there haven't been a lot of changes. I, I've been to the Rolex 24 almost every year since the uh, the late 80s. Um, I don't know how many changes they've actually made. I think that the, the fact that the, the on-track competition level has gone up and down, and some of that's been been not the best thing for safety, such as the, the issue they had with the Gainesco car a few years ago, where that the the other competitor pulled out. I the remember, I remember the you, accident. How do you think they can improve that sort of thing? How, what sort of training do you think the drivers should go through to make those sort of accidents uh, less of an issue? I don't in, think there's any training in the world that's going to get. Listen, it's your driving style. All right, if mm-hmm. you're taking unnecessary risks. Okay, your chances of crashing the car go up ex- exponentially. I mean, you can't control that kind of thing. It's a race car is a race car driver. They want to go fast. They want to get ahead of the necktie, but you don't take unnecessary cha- uh, you know, uh, challenges. In other words, unnecessary chances. And some people do that. And some look. Sometimes you can get away with it, and other times you can't. And what do you think the next big thing in in motorsport safety is going to be? What will the the next the next major innovation that we'll be hearing about in the next couple of years? It'd be very difficult for me to to give you an answer to that. Um, I don't know what the next innovation is going to be. I I'm going to say build safer tracks, give more runoff space, and make a softer landing. Those are the things I'd like to see. I don't know that they're going to happen, but those are the things I'd like to see. Well, we'd like to thank you very much for coming on the program, and thank you very much for the uh, the article that you provided for SpeedwayDigest.com. That was awesome, and we'd love to, to hear more from you in the future. And thank it was you a again. pleasure. Thank you have, you. have a great, great evening, evening now. Thank you. Once again, that was Mr. R.J. Valentine, who's a, a longtime safety advocate and a former competitor in several forms of motorsports, also the current owner of the New Jersey Motorsports Park, which is kind of awesome. I didn't even realize that myself. Are you a race car driver, crew chief, pit member, track owner? Maybe you're just a huge fan of the sport. Contact either Michael Mulally or myself to get your spot on the show. After all, you deserve your 15 minutes of fame, and we'd love to hear from you. Three-day tickets to the 2020 Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg are now on sale to the public. The 16th annual event is set for March 13th through the 15th, 2020 in downtown St. Petersburg and runs on the picturesque 1.8-mile, 14-turn, temporary waterfront street circuit featuring spectacular fan sight lines. 
Tickets are available online at gpstpeat.com or by phone at 1-888-476-4479 with pricing starting at $115 for reserved three-day grandstand seats and $60 for three-day general admission. Junior pricing is also available for those fans ages 12 and under. Pit access and Firestone Paddock passes can also be purchased. Single-day tickets will be released for the sale for sale in early 2020. <clears throat> Excuse me. The weekend schedule featuring NTT IndyCar Series opening race for the 10th straight year has been expanded to seven different racing series on track. IMSA sanctioned Porsche GT3 Cup Challenge USA by Yokohama has been added for 2020, joining the three open-wheel development series from the Road Indy presented by Cooper Tires, as well as the SRO World Challenge Championship Rally GT4 America and TC's America Series, which returned from last year. Available for limited time and quantity for $75, the Champions Club membership offers unprecedented event access and upgraded weekend experience. Its new features include opportunities to sign a, a trackside regular block and a photograph of the winner's trophy. These members can also attend the official IndyCar Drivers Meeting on race day morning, get up close with the IndyCars and drivers to the Comfort Firestone Paddock Pass, and participate in Sunday's free race grid walk. Additional benefits are credential with Lanyard, savings offers on official event merchandise, a chance to win a two-seater IndyCar ride on track, and other surprises to be revealed leading up to the event. I do think that's probably one of the best ticket packages in motorsports. The Champions Club is an awesome way to get to see the cars. And to get to up close with the drivers, I did get a chance to talk to Pedro Award last season at the at the event, although I couldn't really hear much he was saying because there was a lot of automotive noise going on in the background, but that was pretty cool. And there's other drivers all around, and, and it's pretty awesome to get to have that sort of access. And I wish that other series provided that, namely NASCAR, which I'm going to go see next week. For ticket pricing, seating, and event information and updates, visit gpsaintpete.com or follow Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg on social media using hashtag FirestoneGP. The complete racing and activity schedule will be released in early 2020. The 58th Rolex 24 at Daytona, which has traditionally attracted champion drivers from various racing disciplines to compete in North America's most prestigious sports car race, added a big name to the entry list on Monday morning. Lexus Motorsports, in conjunction with AIM, Vassar Sullivan, and Toyota Racing, announced Joe Gibbs Racing's Kyle Busch, the 2015 Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Champion, Cup Series Champion, as one of the endurance racers who will compete behind the wheel of the Lexus RCF GT3 in the 2020 Rolex 24 at Daytona, which is scheduled for January 25th through the 26th. Bush will make his IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and Rolex 24 debut in one of two AIM Vassar Sullivan Lexus entries competing in the GTD class. Bush will begin his preparation for the Twice Around the Clock Challenge by participating in the 2020 Roll Before the Rolex 24 three-day test session from January 3rd through the 5th, 2020. Tickets for the 58th Rolex 24 at Daytona on January 25th through the 26th can be purchased by calling 1-800-PIT-SHOP or visiting www.DaytonaInternationalSpeedway.com. Fans can stay connected with Daytona International Speedway on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, and Snapchat, and by downloading Daytona International Speedway's mobile app for the latest Speedway news throughout the season. Let's go ahead and take a, another short musical break here and listen to Race Day Rock from Ron Pisana and the Pit Crew. 
Once again, that was Race Day Rock by Ron Passana and the Pit Crew. Be sure to check them out online by searching for Ron Passana and the Pit Crew. As we mentioned earlier in the program, the uh, Aero McLaren SPM recently let go of James Hinchcliffe from his contract at the racing organization. They did come up with some sort of settlement. He is probably going to be paid full-time for racing this season, even though he won't be behind the wheel. Um, I don't think they'll make him happy necessarily. He doesn't. Uh, he didn't seem like he was uh, the most keen on being let go from his racing position at the last minute, pretty much after the last minute. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how that goes for next season. Um, we'll see. As I say, I'm pretty sure that we'll end up seeing him at the Rolex 24 Daytona, and that'll be cool too. But hopefully he ends up with something that's, uh, that he enjoys um, and that fits him in IndyCar. And he doesn't end up like other people we've, who we've had on this program before, who have had awesome starts and great fan bases, and then all of a sudden they're just gone. And the next thing you know, you see them standing in the Sebring, spotting for their sister and that sort of thing, and it's kind of weird. But you never know. Um, we'll figure out how, how it goes in the future, and hopefully he has a, a another couple of years in IndyCar anyway. I'm sure he'll land somewhere, and it'll be cool to see where that is. And so that is that. The biggest news of the week, of course, was the fact that Roger Penske of Penske Entertainment purchased IndyCar and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway as well as IMS uh, video production and a few other different things owned by the Holman and Company people who were the previous owners of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway since the year 1945. Now, he is receiving the track in a lot better condition than Holman then Antron Holland there received it in 1945 when he first purchased the track. The track had been sitting idle for roughly four years during World War II. It's covered in in all sorts of uh, foliage. The the golf course was closed, had been closed for a couple of years as well, and it was just a, a really bad thing. At least now, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is a thriving facility, has a has nearly a million people show up every year for the Indianapolis 500-mile race. It has probably more than 100,000, but maybe not, to show up for the Brickyard 400 and other races that go on throughout the year as well. Um, there are a lot of, there's a lot of talk from Penske, and a lot of it I think probably is just talk, about the fact of bringing in a 24-hour race probably from the from IMSA uh, within the next couple of years, bringing back Formula One, which they lost a few years back, uh, bringing that back to the Indianapolis Mars Speedway as well, and do possibly some NASCAR IndyCar crossovers which they've talked a large amount of recently. Um, so that'll be cool. Let's see how that goes. How do you feel about the fact that Roger Fancy just purchased IndyCar? Do you think that'll change the, the sport, and do you think it's a good thing? Well, I mean, I think it's a good thing. I think that he's been involved with motorsports for a super long time, and the people that did it before him, did a good job but I think that the fact that he's like heavily involved with NASCAR and I mean he's got his own cub team and I think it'll do it really good and I think he's going to make a good impact um the only thing that might be worrisome is the fact that people are afraid of change but I think that the change that he could potentially make could be really good 
I think that's probably true too. But I'm I'm kind of concerned about the fact that there's a there's been a huge consolidation in the world of motorsports over the past few years, and there's really if you look at it, they, as of right now anyway, there are two big people who are involved in racing, and if those people had had uh, heaven forbid they decided to keel over and die tomorrow, the whole world of motorsports, at least in this country and probably all over the world, would have a really bad day. One of those people, of course, is Roger Penske. The other one is Morgan Lucas. Now, every time you look at, at racing pretty much all over the world now, you'll see some sort of Lucas Oil sponsorship. He's big in, in small small racing series. He's big in, in huge racing series. And I think that that the fact that uh, it's also the same with Roger Penske. You see Penske Shocks, Penske, Penske's other, corporate, other companies are, are major sponsors all over the world. And with the fact that you just purchased IndyCar, that'll make it a uh, another huge thing. Neither one of those men are young men. Um, I know that that uh, Jay Penske is probably working behind the scenes on uh, for Penske stuff, and I know that Morgan Lucas has has a few sons who are also working behind the scenes. But it's kind of kind of interesting that the the whole world of motorsports basically revolves around a really really small number of people, and with the fact that motorsports itself is teetering on the brink, uh, depending on which series you're looking at. Um, that might not be the best thing for the short term. In the long term, it might be okay. And I think the fact that Penske, if Penske's people have a great plan, that'll be awesome. But in the short term, it's it's not the best thing to have two two guys in their 80s wielding most of the power in the world of, of auto racing. What's the big automotive racing news in the out in the West Coast there? Anything exciting going on? Mm, not really. All of the racing over here has concluded for the the year. So yeah, there's really nothing going on. It's pretty boring over here right now. But yeah. But you sound like you've got a lot of stuff going on over there. Yeah, the next few weeks are going to be really, really busy. We've got the uh, this weekend's the Encore there at Sebring. I'll uh, be heading up there on Sunday. That'll be pretty awesome. Uh, next week is the Ford Championship weekend at Homestead Miami Speedway. I'll be hanging down there for the truck race on Friday. I do have the opportunity to go to other races as well, but but I don't really, I really think that it, uh, it's the best show necessarily, although it will be the final Ford Championship weekend, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, but I do think that the, the Friday event will be the better of the of the three days. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes next March when they bring the, the racing back to Homestead. Um, hasn't been a March race in, in more than a few years, so that'll be cool too. Um, but I am looking forward to, to seeing how the, uh, how the season ends there for the truck series on, on Friday the 15th. Um, I did have the opportunity to talk to a few different drivers, but that's sort of fallen through. Um, that's a whole different story. We'll work on that and see if we can get some, some additional people lined up for possibly brief radio uh, recorded interviews we can have on the show later. Um, but we're hoping to have uh, have Natalie Decker on the program in the near future. Uh, her people have gotten back to me, and so that's pretty awesome. Uh, she will be at Homestead next week for the race there. Um, so be interesting how she does. Uh, there's also a bunch of other other NASCAR people who are working on trying to get on the show in the next few weeks. 
Uh, I know the season is winding down, so it's generally sometimes it's easier to get people on the show, sometimes it's not, and we'll see how it goes. Um, but they do have high hopes that we'll get some some pretty awesome big name drivers on the program before the end of the year. We do only have like four or five sh- shows left before the end of this year. Um, I'm not 100% sure that we're going to have a program next week. I'm pretty sure we will, but there's always a chance that, that next week's show might be skipped, in which case we only have one more show left for the month before the uh, before Thanksgiving. So we'll see how that goes, and it should be should be pretty good. Um, again, we're working on all different sorts of people to come on to the program here. Uh, we have some some different drivers from other series. We've got a few different safety people. We've got some people from different tracks uh, who have expect, expressed interest in coming on the show and talking to us. So that'll be that'll be something to look forward to, whether it be at the end of this year or whether it be early next year. We'll see how that goes. And again, I don't know when the how long the hiatus of the show will be. Um, I know last year we had roughly two months off, um, most of December, and pretty much all of January we were off from the program. So I'm not sure how that's going to work out. As of right now, as I stated, I think we're probably going to have at least at least four or five more shows uh, for this year. Uh, we're going to end probably the week before Christmas, which would be the the 19th, would be the last show of 2019. Uh, as I say, that's probably what we're going to be working on. We're probably going to have might have a show next week on the 14th. We're definitely going to have a show on the 21st. The 28th, we're going to skip because it is Thanksgiving. Um, hopefully, you all have a, an excellent Thanksgiving plan. We'll be back here on the 5th and the 12th and the 19th. We're going to skip the 26th again because that is the, the day after Christmas. And I don't know how much uh, Boxing Day stuff we have going on. Uh, but you never know. And people are traveling and that sort of thing. And, again, I'm not sure what we're going to be doing January and all that. But I'll let you know as soon as I do. Uh, I'm looking forward to also going to the Citrus Nationals this season, which I haven't been able to go to for a few years. I'm not entirely sure if we're going to we're going to hit that both days of the event. We're just going to hit one day. The Citrus Nationals, as some of you probably know, is sort of a national event uh, held at the Palm Beach International Raceway, formerly Moroso Motorsports Park. Uh, they bring in uh, a lot of pro drivers from uh, the National Hot Rod Association. The past, they brought in some pros from the International Hot Rod Association. Um, so it'll be cool to see how that goes. I know they do have a pro mod field, which has a $10,000 first prize this year, which is a pretty cool thing, and that's a, a decent amount of money for a, a relatively small track. So if you're interested, you can check out racepbir.com for more details. I do think they are still accepting people to come in and enter for that race. So if you have a pro mod car and you're, you're listening, uh, go to racepbir.com and check out details about that. Also, we've had a lot of time in the past few weeks to, to update the Speedway Digest racing news section. So we've got a lot of new articles there, mostly about the end of the season. Uh, there's some good stuff from the SECA that's on there, as well as uh, information about next year's racing in the Trans Am series, which was put up yesterday, I believe, and a bunch of other new articles, including the one by R.J. Valentine, which went out, I believe, on the 28th of, of October. So be sure to look for that in the racing news section of SpeedwayDigest.com. Be sure to check out the past episodes of Thursday Night Thunder, as well as the other shows on the Speedway Digest Radio Network at SpeedwayDigestRadioNetwork.com. Again, I'm not sure if that site is back online yet. Hopefully it is. You can also check out the show on Facebook by searching for Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder in the search bar. 
I also invite you to read the articles covering all aspects of motorsports at SpeedwayDigest.com. There's a lot of stuff from the lead-up to the end of the uh, end of the season. Also, some some information about the the race this weekend at IFM Raceway. So be sure to check that out at SpeedwayDigest.com. In addition, if you're a fan of South Florida and who isn't, be sure to check out the latest news and information about our slice of paradise at my relatively new site that's being updated all the time for Plum's fantastic finds. It can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and by heading to HTTP for Bolklum's fantastic finds at wordpress.com. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next week in the Thunderdome as we discuss the major issues in, world, in the world of modern auto racing. Thanks again. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.